0: And I actually raised my hand and I said, oh my goodness, I'm so glad you said that because every single time I'm on the podium, I feel it. And it's this feeling that everybody around you is so much smarter. Everybody around you knows so much more. And I think it's probably more common in women, but it does occur in men. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Indocast. I'm your host, Leslie Bishop,
1: and this is episode 20 with our physician guest, Dr. Vanessa Shammy from the University of Virginia Medical Center. Indocast is a GI focused podcast for clinicians by clinicians presented to you by Boston Scientific. Together, we'll take a closer look at the data, techniques, and insights of endoscopy that matter most to listeners like you. Dr. Shami, welcome to the podcast. I have to tell you, I've been very excited because you're the UVA wahoo that I get to talk to. So I've been really excited about this particular interview. I'm, I'm excited as well. Thanks for having me. So before we get started into the main kind of clinical component, I'd love to just learn a little bit about you and why you decided to go into medicine and maybe why you decided on GI and even therapeutic GI.
0: Absolutely. So I've been a Wahoo uh, since 1992. Me too. Uh, oh, really? Yes. Well, I was in med school then. Okay. I was in uh, undergrad. Okay. Oh, what a small world, isn't That's it? That is wild. So yeah, in 92, I went to medical school there and I always knew I wanted to do medicine ever since I was young. actually worked for an orthopedic surgeon and did CPT coding. And I thought, wow, you know, medicine is so fascinating, and there are so many ways to go, and and so I just knew I was going to go into medicine. So started in medical school in '92, then stayed there for residency and fellowship. And what really did it for me is I like immediate satisfaction, <laughs> and it was uh, between cardiology and GI. And I saw the world of interventional GI, and I was like, wow, you know, there are ways to make people better quickly. And so I just knew interventional GI was, was it for me. So I then went to the University of Chicago for an interventional fellowship and was lucky enough that UVA took me back on <laughs> faculty a year later. So I've been there for 20 more years. Wow, that is amazing. Yeah.
1: That is a long, I can't even do four, is that four, like a 30? No, that's a 30 year yeah, span? Yeah, wow. yes, 30 years. Wow, minus the one year in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Okay, wahoo wah, baby, I love it. Okay, so <laughs> what's the what's the clinical focus of your practice now?
0: Endoral stenting, endoscopic ultrasound is really kind of my passion. Okay. I kind of did a fellowship that was all-encompassing, but when I went back to the University of Virginia, those were the areas that we really had needs in, and so that's why kind of my focus became endoscopic ultrasound, enteral stenting, Barrett's ablation, that kind of thing.
1: Okay, all right, well, we'll take one of those. We'll talk about liver biopsies today, so can you just talk to me why that became a
0: topic of clinical interest for you? Absolutely, so over the years, we always look at the liver. By endoscopic ultrasound. And the reason for that is we look at the liver for cancer staging. And so, and it's right there, it's right next to the stomach, it's right near the duodenum. And so, as ultrasonographers, we always think, how can we push the envelope? Why can't we do more with what we're visualizing? And we already, endoluminally, look for varices, we, you know, we look for portal hypertensive gastropathy. So it makes sense, you know, why, why not access the liver? Why not biopsy the liver? I mean, we do it for metastases, why can't we do it for tissue acquisition?
1: Okay, and could you talk through what are the different options for liver biopsy currently?
0: So currently, you can do percutaneous, which was traditionally what individuals did, especially 20 years ago. Then they would do it blindly, and then came trans-abdominal, ultrasound-guided percutaneous biopsy. And then you can do it transjugularly as well. So interventional radiology can do them transjugularly. And now the whole field of U.S. guided biopsies has developed.
1: Okay, so let's talk about that. Why? What are the clinical advantages, advantages of doing it that way?
0: so the nice thing about doing it with us is that you're right there so the stomach or the duodenum and the liver are literally touching one another it's real time so you can see where the vessels are where the vessels are not and now we have beautiful biopsy needles that give us huge pieces of tissue so, you know, it, it just is a perfect scenario to do U.S.-guided biopsies.
1: What, uh, what type of needle? Are you using a 22-gauge for that? What, do you, what,
0: what size? and Using a 19-gauge, I like the Francine needle. Mm-hmm. And I've tried different needles, and I've tried different gauges. And I find the 19-gauge and a Francine-type needle tip works the best. Okay, and what kind of
1: feedback with that are you getting from your pathologist about the, about the tissue?
0: It's not only just the needle and the gauge, it's also the technique. Initially, we were doing kind of a pull, pull back where you take the stylet and you pull back as, a, as I go to and fro with the needle. Now what I do is something called the wet suction technique, where we actually, I have my nurse take the stylet out. So we're prepping the needle before it's actually even in the scope, injecting some dilute heparin. And then once we're in the scope and in the liver, turning on suction. So I can tell you that the first time I used that technique, my, my pathologist called me and said, what did you do different? Oh, really, it was that dramatic? Absolutely. Wow. Yes. Because I was not a believer in the biopsies initially because my pieces were fragmented. Ah or inadequate. But once I started that technique, along with the combination of the needle type and the gauge, it, it's really, really kind of pushed the envelope. Okay, that's like the magic like trio.
1: The Absolutely. type, the size, and the in the technique.
0: Absolutely. Okay,
1: so uh, back to doing liver biopsies. Is there ever a time when EUS Guided is not the best option for a patient?
0: Yes, obviously, if the patient has had an anatomy where they've had a gast, you know, gastrectomy, I mean, that makes sense. If they have multiple varices that are in the window, um, you know, you can develop these dilated veins uh, between the liver uh, in the submucosal space of the uh, lumen. Obviously, you don't want to do it that way. Somebody with severe coagulopathy, probably not the best way to go. But short of that, I mean, it's a great, great access.
1: Are there any other specialties that are really important for you to be collaborating with?
0: Absolutely, so you always want to let the interventional radiologist know that you're doing this. And the reason being is if you ever get into trouble, if you get bleeding, they're going to be helping you. So you never want to feel like it's me versus your technique. You, you really have to be collaborative. And obviously the hepatologists need to be on board as well.
1: And I guess keeping, you know, those patient outcomes really at the forefront can also be really helpful.
0: Absolutely. You can't argue with, once you get the tissue, then you can look at the specimens you know, compare the specimens between IR specimens and the EUS-guided specimens. And then that's where kind of the money is going to be. I'm going to shift
1: gears to asking you a couple questions about women and endoscopy. But before I do that, I just wanted to see if you had any closing thoughts or anything you wanted to add about liver biopsies.
0: No, I just think, think it's going to become more and more common. And it kind of makes sense for us to kind of collaborate with the hepatologist. And it's an exciting new field. I don't think we're actually you know, there yet. I think there are going to be more and more discoveries and techniques that we're going to be able to do in that endohepatology realm.
1: Oh, that's really exciting. It is. Talking about women in endoscopy. So there's a low number of therapeutic endoscopists that are female. The number's increasing, but it's still really small. And one of the fears seems to be, I just don't know if you can have a life and have a family, but you've been able to do that successfully. So I just wanted to see if you had any thoughts on the challenges of that, or how you've been able to manage that, especially for younger women who are looking to come into the field potentially?
0: Yeah, no, it, it's a real challenge. One thing I want to, to say is that you need to have a good mentor. You need to really find somebody who you can confide in, and it does not have to be a female. And I was fortunate enough to have that mentor. You have to also be able to realize your limitations and sometimes say no. What I did was I, you know, Anytime I felt overwhelmed, which happens, I step back and I said, what is truly the most important thing for me? You know, and I always kind of chose family, although career will all, they, they, people appreciate it. It's more, uh, you know, accepted that sometimes you'll have to say no to certain things. Did you find
1: that held you back? It made you take, it took you longer to get somewhere or... Did you feel that held you back in advancing in your career?
0: Fortunately, no. In fact, you know, I've had nothing but great support. I'm heavily involved with uh, w- one of the societies, and they would allow my daughter to come to adult wine parties. No way. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I literally, there was a toddler running around, and you know, and I'm just like, I'm so sorry, guys. And they're like, no, she's always welcome. So yeah, I mean, I think you just have to, you know, go with the flow and, uh, you know, do it any way you can.
1: I love hearing that. That's fun. A lot of times we'll be on calls with females and they'll have like their baby in the, you know, sometimes if they're working from home, their baby's in the picture. I mean, it just happens.
0: Yeah, you just have to do it. I mean, sometimes that's the way you'll be able to get there that you can, you know, accomplish something.
1: Okay, another question I had about women in endoscopy, because this is something we talk a lot. I do an internal podcast for Boston Scientific that Mm -hmm. I've done for, gosh, six or seven years. So I've interviewed a lot of women over that time. And a lot of them talk about, having imposter syndrome. And I'm just wondering if that, does that affect
0: doctors too? Absolutely. It's interesting. We just had somebody give us a a lecture at UVA and this person's very prominent and he mentioned having imposter syndrome. It, It was a male? Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. And I actually raised my hand and I said, oh my goodness, I'm so glad you said that because every single time I'm on the podium, I feel it. And it's this feeling that everybody around you is so much smarter everybody around you knows so much more and i think it's probably more common in women but it does occur in men and i thought about why that is and i just i i I think it's for those people that are very very particular who like want everything perfect and maybe it's a little bit of insecurity i mean frankly it's hard to to sort of admit that on camera or, you know, in person. But yeah, but you'll be surprised. A lot of men have it too. And after I raised my hand and talked to him during that lecture about it, I had six of our fellows call me and say, Dr. Shammy, I'm so glad you brought that up. We can't believe you feel that way. We feel it all the time.
1: Okay, that's really interesting. Now, were they males or females? Both. Both. Wow, so this is a question I need to be asking male physicians too. Absolutely. Okay, that's very, very interesting. Do you have any advice for overcoming it?
0: I think you just need to realize that everybody, you know just as much, so that's what I do. Before I go up there, I go, you know what? (laughs) I know just as much. It may be different things, I may not know the same information, but I know something they don't. They know something I don't. It's not a competition. So just go up there with confidence, and you belong up there. I mean, you really have to psych yourself up, and, and then it, that tends to work. Okay, I love it. All right, well, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you coming
1: on today. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Indocast. Please subscribe to the podcast and follow Boston Scientific Endoscopy on our Twitter, YouTube, and LinkedIn feeds. You can also visit our virtual education platform, Educare. That's educare.bostonscientific.com and choose gastroenterology. The site features over 180 resources, including physician-led educational videos, lectures, case studies, device training videos, procedural tips, and techniques. Thanks for listening. Endocast listeners, an important disclaimer. These materials are intended to describe common clinical considerations and procedural steps for the use of reference technologies, but may not be appropriate for every case or patient. Decisions surrounding patient care depend on the physician's professional judgment in consideration of all available information for the individual case. Boston Scientific does not promote or encourage the use of its devices outside of their approved labeling. Case studies are not necessarily representative of clinical outcomes in all cases as individual results may vary. Thank you.